Really, really uh, sweet to declare that uh, this morning, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's not foolish at all to express joy in the Lord, even in a time like this. It's actually a matter of faith. It's one of the real privileges that we have as children of God. So I hope that song lifted your spirit. And it seems maybe weird to, at the end of a song to clap in your home, but maybe you clapped, actually. I kind of felt like weird not clapping here. So uh, <clears throat> as much as we possibly can. We're going to uh, go back into Genesis 3 and our scriptures and look at, pick up where we have left off. Um, we stepped out a little bit last week, but we're going to step back in. You'll notice we brought the TV closer because all of you texted me and said, I couldn't see the words on the TV. So we've resolved that, hopefully. So it's up big, close, and personal. All right, so if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at the passage verses 14 through 24. Now, let, let me just preface before we read it. Uh, you may think, are you serious? This is what we're going to talk about during this time. And I readily acknowledge that's the initial feel. So I'm going to ask you a favor. Don't bail too quickly. Uh, don't 15 minutes in go, okay, this is just ah, too hard, too heavy. I'm out. If you'll hang in there, uh, we will find marvelous hope in this passage. So uh, here's the setup. If you haven't been with us, we're in a series in Genesis. We're not very far in. We started in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, obviously, where we're introduced to God. And he introduces himself, he reveals himself there as one who is glorious. Glorious in his creation, glorious in his character, glorious in all that he does. That was Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 3, then, we're introduced to God has an opposer, and he is Satan. He is the devil. But I find it far more helpful, uh, since I've been in this study, I've never really thought about Satan this way before, but I think it's far better if we think of him not as Satan, not as the devil, not with a tail, not in a red suit, but as the destroyer. He is the father of lies who is the destroyer. See, that puts him for who he really is. And his goal as God's opposer is to destroy you, God's creation, and all of God's creation with his lies. So that's where we have been so far. The first 13 verses of Genesis chapter 3 showed the destroyer lying to Adam and Eve and regrettably, Adam and Eve believing his lies. And uh, the immediate ruin that happened because they believed his lies. That immediate ruin for believing his lies is self-consciousness, shame, hiding from God, fear, and blaming one another. Now, what I want you to capture, make sure as you look at those, you recognize none of these existed before Adam and Eve believed the lies. This was a new reality for them. And it's, it's a bit depressing, honestly. It's like, ah, oh, can you imagine life where there wasn't self-consciousness, shame, hiding, fear, and blame? Adam and Eve had lived that life. But... The worst news is, <laughs> this is just the beginning. 
there's even more to this new fallen reality than self-consciousness, shame, hiding, fear, and blame. And so as I read for us, and you follow along if you have a Bible there, verses 14 through 24, I want you to look for additional curses and consequences because of what Adam and Eve chose to do by believing the liar's lies. Starting in verse 14, the Lord God said first to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you'll bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and the east... And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So it's a heavy, dark, sobering, broken new reality with curses and consequences. First, the serpent is cursed, the devil, Satan, the father of lies, is cursed for what he did. Second, the ground is cursed. And the ground is cursed, it said, because verse 17 and 18, cursed is the ground because of you. The ground is cursed because of Adam until you eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles that shall grow for you. You understand, prior to that, there would not have been from the ground thorns and thistles, only good stuff that you could eat. See, every plant, it had said, every plant, every shrub, good for food. Now, thorns and thistles, not so good for food. So the ground is still going to produce that which you can eat, but it's also going to produce that which you can't eat. Cursed is the serpent. Cursed is the ground. And then there's three major consequences. First, the consequence of a new reality of death. A new reality of death, meaning death didn't exist before sin? Exactly. Verse 19 says, by the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall 
return. Uh, Adam and Eve would not have physically died. Humanity would not have physically died apart from believing the lies. When the land enemy said, what? You won't die. And they do die because they believe the lies. A, a consequence of sin is physical death, verse 19. But it's more than that. Verse 21, then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So death is not only a reality for humanity, death now to animals. Again, prior to Adam and Eve choosing to believe the lies, animals were not to be eaten. We talked about this a few weeks ago and we were like, ah, no meat. And we said, no, we, we weren't made originally to meet, eat meat. Now, uh, the scripture gives plenty of freedom to do that now, oh, but there was no death of animals, so there was no eating of meat. And check this, animals would have not eaten one another. Because if you check the text in Genesis 1 and 2, what you'll find is that every tree and the, the shrubs were good for food for not only man, but for the animals. So animals eating one another, us eating animals, the death of animals, because God is the first who actually took the life of an animal then to make coverings for Adam and Eve who chose to believe the lies. So there is physical death for humans. There's animal death, verse 21. And then worst of all, verse 24. So he drove the man out, out of where? Out of the garden of Eden. And he said, I was to dwell among them. They would be my people. They were going to have perfect relationship with one another. And because they believed the lies, there is now a relationship that was intended to be one is now broken. There is a third death, a spiritual death, a separation from God because of sin. It's pretty sobering, but that's not all, regrettably. There's not only a new fallen reality of death. Second, there's a new reality of pain and hardship. Again, as you write those words down, if you're taking notes, recognize pain and hardship were not part of original creation. They are a consequence of sin. And it's identified a type of pain and hardship for the woman and a type of pain and hardship for the man. For the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. So for the woman, that pain is now in childbearing. Uh, obviously, I've never experienced that uh, personally, but I've been there when Jackie delivered our first clate. It was pretty normal delivery right up to the point where she was about to go into that final stage of delivery, you know, the hard part where it's push, 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 and then there's, it's going to be hard but short. Well, um, it got hard and really long, like hours, three hours of just stuck, and they were just trying to get our son Clayt to come through the birth canal and his head was just too big. So, and the nurses, I, I'll never forget them because we're all clothed up. This was back at Memorial Hospital and they said, uh, you just need to be prepared. 
your son is going to be born with a really, really significant cone head. Like a cone head like you might not be prepared to see. And so I was like, oh, well, he wouldn't come out. So they went, we're concerned now. They moved her to operating room and they were going to deliver, have to go by C-section. But one last effort, I didn't realize what was going on, thankfully. Two nurses came behind Jackie and on the doctor's count of three, both of them pushed down on her belly with great thrust and she screamed a scream I have never heard before nor since. It was like death. And I, I literally, in that operating room at Memorial Hospital, with tears streaming down my face, I thought, we're never going to do this again. Well, that one obviously didn't work out that way. But in that moment, the, the, the pain and the intensity was so great, I thought, we can't do this again. And with that push, totally by surprise, and then a second one, he was born. Completely round head, no cone whatsoever. He said, I will prevail. And this whopping round head was finally born. And if you've ever met my son, Clay, his head now is about the same size as it was when he was born. Well, not not really, but it seemed like at the time. I was so prepared for this little boy who would be just all so tiny, and I was like, he's huge. We're off. Pain in childbearing, that's for the woman. For the man, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, come back to that one, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. It's simply saying to the man, you were made for work, but now there's going to be this futility and constant opposition in work. And so what every woman who's given birth can testify of, the pain in childbearing, every man can go... Every project I try and do, it's harder, longer, more complicated. It's just like, ugh. And just sometimes in those projects, I'm like, Adam, you toad. Ugh. Because, guys, you understand this, don't you? When you're productive, you have that sense of, man, this is what I've made for. But the futile road and the hard rocky road to trying to be productive sometimes causes guys to just go ah, just forget it and just let me grab the remote and go sit on the couch because there's no opposition there it's a consequence because Adam and Eve believed the lie so death pain and hardship in child childbearing, futility, and opposition in work. And then, third, the new reality of relational conflict. And this specifically is identified in the marriage. Yet your desire, speaking to Eve, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So God had created this, this beautiful relationship that we know as marriage where 
Adam was given a helpmate, a suitable helpmate, someone who would complete him so that Adam and Eve together might live together for the glory of God in a way that individually they could not, that they would be living life together to God's glory. That was the image. That was what God had in mind. Now, because of sin, we have this tug of war where the woman, the wife, what she want, what's it say? It, your desire will be for your husband. No, no, don't, sorry guys, that doesn't mean her, she's going to desire you. That means she's going to desire your control. Uh, the wife will desire control. She, she will be not pulling with Adam to the glory of God. She'll be pulling against. So uh, married folks, you're not sitting in church where you can't like look at one another and without other people seeing you, you're just like in your home probably watching together now, except for my wife. But you know this, babe, right? We get in this tug of war where you want control and I want to rule over and ugly. But do you see that picture that I've painted for you? What God had intended a husband and wife, not exactly the same, uniquely different, compatible, completers, both pulling towards the glory of God. Now, that which is one is pulling separate. Wife pulling against her husband, husband roughly pulling against her, ruling over her. It's a consequence of sin. Now, you may be listening to all this and go, and uh, this is so hard. This is so dark. And that is the reality that I want us to be willing to embrace. That, that what you'll see is because, watch, because Adam and Eve believed the lies because they doubted God, because they did not hold to him as the good and perfect God. Everything that he had made, good, very good, it's ruined. If I could illustrate that for you, it would be like a perfect bright world goes dark. It goes dark as creation groans from sin. It goes dark as work that was intended to be a gift of God is crowded by futility. It goes dark as relationships are now impacted by shame and fear and conflict and jealousy and cruelty. And ultimately, life itself darkened by death and ultimate death, life separated from God. Now, if you're watching and going, hey, what happened? Everything's dark. That's intended. Nothing wrong with your monitor. Nothing wrong with your phone. It's a reflection that, that we are, because of sin, in complete darkness. 
But light always shines brighter in the darkness. So is there any hope in this passage? Are we really going to finish dark? Here's hope. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Listen, there's hope in that because I don't know if Adam and Eve really got it, but I can tell you this, that we who have the full scriptures, hang in with me here in the darkness, hang in with me. We who have the full scriptures can know that this is a foreshadowing of the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, our Savior, who the Gospel of John introduces to us. And it says to us this, in the beginning about Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He came to his own, and those who were his own didn't receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, who is light and life, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made, can you say it wherever you are? We have been made complete seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. You see, we went dark in order to reflect the consequences and curse of sin has darkened our world and it's a new fallen reality that we cannot get away from except in Christ. And in Christ, who is what? Life and light. In Christ, though I still live in a fallen and darkened world, I am not a slave to the realities of this fallenness. You see, I still live in a creation that groans from sin. I still live in a body that's going to die. I still live in a marriage where there's the propensity towards a tug of war. But I'm not a slave to that reality. Though I live in a darkened world, I do not have to, in Christ, live in darkness. I can walk in newness of life in Christ I can walk in life and light because the promise of scripture is if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. What's the old thing? Walking in darkness, living in darkness, a darkened mind, a darkened heart, darkened relationship, a darkened family, a darkened job, a darkened death. Old things passed away. New things have come.
So track with me. Everybody watching right now is either in Christ and light or in darkness. And as I prepared for today, I was just struck. Why? Why, if there is light and life in Christ, might you still be living in darkness? Because I have family and I have friends who have heard about the life, who have heard about life in Jesus, and yet still to this day right now are living in darkness with the reality of death and no life the reality of relational brokenness and no way to live in peace with one another. And my heart breaks. I found myself all this week going, Lord, would you, would you take any who are still in darkness, who, who watch this, and would you just like start pounding on their heart and open their eyes. I don't know if it's your pride that says, no, I will not receive help. Or my pride that I don't need help. Or if it's fear that God's going to ruin your life. Man, look around. It's not God who has ruined life. Or maybe it's shame. You look at your history and you think, uh, a good God would never love me. Paul says it, I'm going to say it to you. I beg you, be reconciled to God. I don't understand. You do not need to live in darkness. Your marriage doesn't need to be cloaked in darkness. Your personal life does not need to be swallowed up in darkness. But as many as received him, who admitted, I'm in darkness, Lord, and I need life and light. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I know it was unmistakable when God called me to himself. It wasn't one day I went up and I'm going to follow God today. No, it was one evening when somebody shared the truth of Jesus when the first time I had heard it, I had heard it a jillion times, but for some reason that night, God's grace, when I heard about life and darkness, I sensed the Holy Spirit just pounding on my heart, inviting me to trust him and believe him. And if that is what you're experiencing right now, I want to invite you. Believe in Jesus. Be born again. And be transferred from darkness to light. From in your sin to in Christ. Because in Christ, you can become a new creation. And in Christ, you can walk in newness of life. And in Christ, all the old stuff can be put away.
Not that you will escape until Christ returns or till you go home. Not that you're going to escape this fallen world. You just won't be a slave to it. I just ask you one more time, why are you continuing to be a slave to darkness when you can receive the light of Christ? Cry out to him now, would you? And if you have, if you're sitting here going, man, I'm praying for those who haven't, but that you know that you are in Christ, I I want to invite you, let's, in the midst of this fallen world, and we're feeling the fallenness as real as we've ever felt it, most of us in our lifetime, let's live in the light in the midst of fallenness. Let's live according to the new, new reality of in Christ. And I mean that in five very specific ways. Quickly, first, in Christ, we've said this over and over again, but I want to tell it to you again. In Christ, you do not need to fear or worry. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of what next week or next month or the rest of 2020 holds, you need not worry or fear if you are where? In Christ. Why? Because in Christ, you can live in the reality of a peace that passes all understanding. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind. Where? In Christ. It's not available if you're not in Christ, but if you're in Christ, man, brothers, sisters in Christ, are you here? Peace, which passes all understanding. If not, don't be anxious, pray. And how? With thanksgiving. He loves you, thank you. He's with you, thank you. He knows what he's doing, thank you. He's working for your good, thank you. And as you, by faith, pray and let your request known and you do it with thanksgiving in Christ, man, there's all of a sudden this like guard around your heart and this guard around your mind that protects peace in Christ. That's life in the midst of a dark, fallen world. In Christ, your work is not marked by futility. And I mean this, whatever you do. I don't just mean if you're like doing Christian work. Whatever you do, if you are in Christ, then you can do whatever you can do. You can do it to God and by God and for God. (laughs) You can be quarantined by God, to God, and for God. You can shop for your neighbor by God, to God, and for God. You can care for the sick. To God, by God, for God. Whatever you do, you can fix a car, you can program a computer, you can sell some medicine. Whatever you do, you can clean your house. To God, by God, for God. In Christ, it's not that it won't be hard, it's not that there won't be opposition. It's who it's done for and how it's done to him and by him and for him. Whatever you do, you don't have to put your head on your pillow this week and go, ah, 
just wasting my life. You're not. You can go to work for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. How? As for the Lord. Rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Why? Because you are in him and he is in you. Whatever you do this week, do it to him, for him, by him. And mark yourself as light in the midst of darkness. Third, as a parent in Christ, uh, and I'm speaking to this because people who have never homeschooled are homeschooling, <laughs> and they're like, uh, I read this deal where uh, the neighbor said, I saw my, my neighbor out there peeling off my student as an honorable student because now that she's homeschooling, she's like, she's not so honorable anymore. <laughs> it's not really true, but the, it was got the, it, it's a different deal for some of them, and you're like, gah! It's uh, just a small part of parenting. Listen, whether you have a baby, a preschooler, elementary, a teenager, college student in my home, back in my home. Hey, Shannon. As a parent in Christ, you have the wisdom of God and the strength of God to shape hearts by the grace of God. If you were with us from the beginning, Matt shared, there's unique opportunity now. And you may need to know the strength of God like you haven't needed to know it before. That's what you have in Christ and the wisdom of God available to you in Christ and the grace of God to you in Christ. Bring it to your parenting. When you hit tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever and you're at the end of your rope and you're about ready to like explode and the shrapnel is going to wipe out the children to your great delight. Say, Lord, that is, that is not life in darkness. I am in Christ. Apart from that, all I could do is explode and make other people pay because I'm angry. But in Christ, you can walk in newness of life, parent. You can parent the wisdom of God, the strength of God, and by the grace of God. And the light of Christ will shine through you in a dark world. Live according to who he's made you. In Christ, your marriage doesn't have to be this constant tug of war of rights and control. You don't have to be pulling in opposite directions these days. You can, in Christ, as every husband, you have the opportunity to display. You don't have to write all this down. Just look at it. Every husband has the opportunity to display the sacrificial love of Jesus. And to what? To the glory of God, because that's how as husbands we display the glory of God. We lay our lives down as Christ laid his, down, his life down for us. And every wife has the opportunity to display the humble submission of Jesus to the glory of God. As you submit yourself, as the scripture says, as unto the Lord. Marriage to the glory of God is about being in Christ. Sacrificial love, humble, joyful submission 
I recognize, I say it in every wedding, I recognize those are words that are out of style. They're old-fashioned. Just stop for a moment and look at the marriages where tug-of-war is on, hard and heavy, and you go, that's what I want? Or look at a marriage where a husband and wife, not because it's easy, but because they are in Christ and they see their role of sacrificial love and humble, and they are, you can see it. You can tell when a husband and wife are pulling together versus pulling against. Maybe when we're finished here, it'd be a good moment for you just to remind your spouse, we're on the same team. See, in a tug of war, you're not on the same team. You're on opposing sides. And there's a winner and there's a loser. (laughs) And God never intended marriage to be for winners or losers. He intended marriage to be a complementary pulling together for the glory of God. That's life. So if you're in Christ, let me invite you to walk in newness of life. In Christ the sting of death has been defeated. You you have the promise of abundant life and the promise of eternal life. And and as we said last week, if you were with us, I mean, it's a win or it's a win. Abundant life here, eternal life. The sting of death is gone. The scripture declares, oh, death, where is your victory? Or death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. That's the darkness we talked about. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in Christ, you don't have to fear death. You can live abundant and have eternal life. Can you walk through that with me? In Christ. Peace. In Christ, I can do whatever I do to the glory of God. In Christ, strength, wisdom, and grace for whatever the challenge. In Christ, if I'm married, pulling together, not pulling against. And in Christ, abundant life, eternal life. Man, that is the invitation. Now you may go, that's great, Doug, but how? How? Let me give you this encouragement. The scripture, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You want to walk in newness of life? Lift this up in your life. You know, we talk about a lot here at the chapel, here, under the word of God, not here, maybe, under But do you see it? It's his word that's light in the midst of darkness. He doesn't show you the whole path for the rest of your life, but it's a light unto my feet. The word of God will give you everything that you need to train you. It's good for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness that you would be equipped for every good work. His word is a light. And you need light right now. We all need light right now in this darkness. 
So go to the scriptures. And as you go to the scriptures, uh, here's the second encouragement you'll discover. Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness. That's been the whole point this morning. Yes, we live in a fallen reality, but we don't have to walk in the darkness because he is the light of the world. And if we follow him, we don't walk in darkness. Why? But we have the light of life. You know what he's saying? I'm the light of the world and I will dwell within you so that as my word lays out light in front of you for life, I, the light of the world, will be in you so that you have everything that you need to walk in that light. We define abiding in Jesus here at the chapel simply like this. I'm going to do everything that he says because his word is a lamp unto my feet. Believing he's going to do all he promised. Why? Because he, he is the light of the world and he dwells within us. So I, I want us to close this morning with a joyful reminder that Jesus is our lighthouse. His word is our lighthouse. That though we live in a fallen world of pain and hardship and sickness and death, we don't have to be overwhelmed with it. We can walk in newness of life in Christ. Brothers and sisters, let's look to Jesus, our lighthouse. In my wrestling, in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. You are the peace in my troubled sea. In the silence you won't let go. In the questions your truth will hold. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, my lighthouse, my lighthouse, shining in the darkness, I will follow you. Oh my
And I love how he says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. And I go, whoa, whoa, I thought he said he was the light of the world. And that's the beauty of this. He is the light of the world. And when we are in Christ, then what are we? We are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We cannot be hidden at such a time as this. The light of Jesus would cause us that we are in Christ to walk in the light. For this reason, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, how? They will glorify your Father in heaven when they see a different life, a new life, a new person in Christ. And they'll say, I don't want to live in darkness. Why am I going to do this? I want to be in Christ and walk in newness of life. And when they see you walking in newness of life, then they will glorify our Father as they walk in newness of life, believing in Jesus. What a great privilege we have this week to be the light of the world. Fallenness all around us. It doesn't have to overwhelm us. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine in Christ. All right, so we're going to take like a 60-second break. And then Jonathan Monk, our senior high youth pastor, is going to come up here. And we're going to take uh, about 30 minutes to just debrief what we talked about this morning, maybe answer some questions that you might have. There's going to be, I believe, a phone number on the screen, all right, phone number on the screen that you can text a question or something uh, that you might be wondering based on what you heard or what's going on. You can text a question and we'll do our best to to interact with you in that unique way. All right, so 60 seconds, we'll get started. God bless.